Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19, verse 14. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to the Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm going to be bringing you homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God dwells in a life that is often ordinary, always busy, and sometimes exciting. Each week, I invite a guest to join me for part of the show to talk about aspects of family life, which usually relates to homeschooling and always speaks straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. I come to you with an English accent from the Lone Star State, where everyone thinks I hail from far away East Texas. I do come from far away East, London to be precise. My guest today is Malia McNenny, and yes, she's my daughter, here to talk to us about careers and jobs for the busy homeschooler, college student, and aspiring star. She'll be with us a little later, so stay tuned to hear her young voice of experience. It's time for my elevenses, a mid-morning snack to tide me over until lunch, a cup of tea and a piece of fudge this week. The Christmas baking is still lurking on the pantry shelves. I'll be talking about parenting in more ways than one, practicing what I preach, a hair calamity, stress and upcoming auditions as I continue easing gently into 2013. It's still January, isn't it? Is my life ever going to settle into a routine? You know, we're planning on selling this family home of ours. A lot of you may be able to relate in a number of ways or cringe or wonder why I'd want to move and leave all the memories tucked within the bricks and mortar. But I have to. After 20 some odd years of living within the same four walls, I'm ready to move into something more, oh, I don't know, more manageable. The house is mammoth when there's just the two of us, dwarfs a bit when we add a couple of dozen people for parties. But for the most part, I move from room to room, following the sun, or the heat, or the coolth in the summer, rather like a cat. And I wonder, where have all the children gone? I told you I found chocolates on the tree this epiphany when we were taking it down, which made it all the more evident that we no longer had young children or dogs living permanently with us. Our lives are changing. Our home needs to, too. My nest, which has become my blue-eyed cowboys and my little sitting room, used to be the nursery. The upstairs large playroom became two bedrooms and a bathroom for the girls and is now a flat of sorts for my youngest. I officed in one of the upstairs rooms with a view before leaving for England. Now I bounce around downstairs. The ceilings to our house are vaulted, which is fun to look at, but a bind to keep warm or cool. And we've decided that after the lovely constant temperature of our English flat with its normal sized rooms, we could do with a house with many low ceilinged rooms 
to keep the what the climate more comfortable. All that to say we are going to put the house on the market. We thought to do it sooner rather than later so that we didn't grow attached to the dwelling, but one thing led to another, and the process has been put back several months. Our original handyman chased Sandy and went up north where work was prolific. Then our new handyman kept putting us off and being generally unreliable. Now it's we who are flaking out. We were to start this week but are going to Houston with youngest daughters. And then the following week we're heading to the Sunshine State on the far coast to have some R&R while she's working in Vegas for a few days. Notice we're not going to Vegas with her. We're going off to Florida. Maybe in two weeks work will start in earnest. And funnily enough, our youngest son, who'd unwittingly come over to do laundry the other day, cleared all the leaves in the backyard and took off the eyesore of a pool cover. He needed the money for rent, so we paid him for the chore since he doesn't live here anymore and doesn't have his steady zoo job now that he's working on starting his own company. Entrepreneurialism is beginning to take its toll in our house. Then it rained for four days, and I know we need it, but there's nothing as miserable as a cloudy, cold, wet Texas day, unless it's in the middle of a scorching July when we all need the break. So we had to leave the pool cover wadded up until we could dry it out in the driveway. Now he, our fiancé, fiancé, why am I wanting to call him a fiancé? He, our fiancé's son, has started painting, ha-ha, He gets it everywhere. Must be nice to have a job where you get to visit the parentals, have a chit-chat and heart-to-hearts and meals cooked for you and still get paid. Did I say get paid? I may get paid for some of my blogs. That's exciting because I love to write and I'm doing it for nothing much to the disgust of my reading-writing critique group. You mean you put something up for public perusal and let it be read for free? A cries of lament I hear every month. So maybe I'll get a few pence for my written words in the future. I did get a 24-pack of Cottonelle toilet paper for writing a review. Money flushed down the drain, but a welcome necessity. Now, to change the subject completely, our priest at church has a great sense of humour. The other week he came forward to the front pews, he doesn't often preach from the pulpit, and said, I had a sermon all written up, didn't like it, so I've left it up there gesturing back to the pulpit. This week he was losing his voice, the onset of something more serious, I'm sure, and again he pulled his sermon out and said, I have this sermon all written out, but I'm not going to use it. Usually it's you who have to suffer through my sermons. This morning it would be me having to suffer through my sermon. So let's just talk. And so he cut a long sermon short on the baptism of Christ. It was the feast of John the Baptist. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Luke 3 verses 21 and 22. We know that Christ came to shoulder our sins and our baptism with water represents the washing away of original sin and the pledge to live a new life. Father Hines pointed out something I'd not noticed before. This is the only time in the Gospel that the Trinity is present in all its forms. The Father praising Jesus from heaven, Jesus his Son being baptised in the river, and the Holy Spirit 
in bodily form as a dove. The Father reveals Jesus as part of the triune, the Trinity, Christ as God incarnate, wearing flesh to walk on earth amongst us, to take our sins upon himself, and to die for us before rising to resume his rightful place in heaven. Now here's a little parenting story with a twist. Our youngest has been standing in as a nanny for a friend of hers this week. She gets paid by the hour and some of the days are long. The little boy is five years old and he goes to school from 12 to 3. But she started work at 9 and stayed until 6 during the week so that she could go to her dance class. Um, she could do that because the night nanny comes in at six o'clock. I told you it was parenting with a difference. Oh, and by the way, mum's there the whole time that she's there. Three of the evenings, she had to stay until nine o'clock at night and put the little boy to bed and wait until he'd fallen asleep before leaving. Mum, as I said, was there. She had her own agenda. She'd go out and have lunch with her girlfriends or go shopping or she would you know, have a manicure and a pedicure, I suppose. Different, huh? Well, while Malia was there, she had full responsibility of the child and the little boy told her that she was, he was special because he had a nanny. So that's obviously what his parents had told him. On Saturday, they went to the zoo and went for lunch at his favourite Mexican restaurant. They watched a movie in the home cinema. They actually watched The Lady in the Tram. And they made a complicated castle from Lego kits all week. My daughter had her eyes opened to a different kind of parenting, which was totally hands-off. The maid made chilli one evening for the mum and dad, and our daughter made mac and cheese for the little boy, and they ate their meal in the kitchen. Her friend, who's the regular full-time nanny, has her own credit card to use for outings and other expenses. She probably takes some clothes shopping, who knows. She did go to Beverly Hills with the family over Christmas and stayed in a room with the young boy and the parents hired a car and cruised around leaving her and their son at the hotel, pretty much stranded. This gets more and more bizarre in the telling, so I think I'll stop. Needless to say, this is the polar opposite of homeschooling. What do you think? Well, still on the topic of parenting, something funny happened the other day in our house. My southern gentleman and I watch British programmes on Netflix some evenings, perhaps once a week unless we get hooked as we did with Downton Abbey. Then we watch several times a week. Well, we're actually miffed that season two isn't on Netflix and now season three is showing live on TV. Anyhow, we are watching Inspector Lewis at the moment and enjoying the murder mysteries set in Oxford. Every scene includes rain, it seems. The countryside is luscious. Our daughter, the one who lives at home with us, chastised me for watching TV every more, every evening. When I come home from work, there you are in the nest watching something, she'll say, when she comes in to share her day with us. She reminded me that when we were young, Mum, you used to say, I'm not watching anything tonight, it's only Wednesday. And now you watch something every night. I thought about this for a few days. My brain takes a while to process things and realise that as a mother with rules and young children with hawk eyes, I abided by my guidelines myself. So if I didn't allow TV watching at all except on Fridays, then I too didn't watch TV all week. I was rather taken aback many years ago when I visited a friend who had a Trevium group and she said her children weren't allowed to watch television, ever, yet there was a TV set in their living room, bold as brass. I gestured to it and raised an eyebrow. 
Well, my husband watches the news and TV when they go to bed, she clarified. And I thought that was hypocritical. But now, fellow listeners of mine, I can do and say, eat and watch, whatever, whenever and wherever I want to. I don't have to practice what I preach anymore because there are no children, well, a young adult, not a child, at home to preach to, as I mentioned wistfully at the start of the show. I'm no longer a mentor in the same way as I was. The little things that mattered to three and four-year-olds, ten and eleven-year-olds, teenagers... I still have my personal morals and enjoy spending time in the word each day, but that's more of a way of life than a do-what-I-say-not-what-I-do kind of example. Well, I mentioned that Dortz was taking dance classes in the evenings at last, and I am glad indeed. She's getting in shape for a couple of auditions. She had to buy point shoes while we did as part of her birthday. She wanted running shoes, but we decided that the point shoes would be more viable since she only runs for five minutes at a time. So she takes ballet bar on point to get her strength up and break her shoes in. My cowboy and I are going to auditions with her, an excuse to travel a little, if you count going to Houston and Oklahoma as travelling. And so, before we go on a break, my guest this week, as I mentioned earlier on, is my youngest daughter, Malia McNenny, a homeschooling graduate who went to community college where she received her Associates of Arts degree at the age of 19, before heading to England for a year to attend a performing arts school in the seaside town of Leon C. We're going to be talking about a dream job that allowed her to work and pursue her career on both sides of the pond, and her dream career, which is creeping up on her. She's an artistic and passionate person who goes all out when she wants to do something and digs her heels in when she doesn't, which posed a bit of a problem when she was younger, but works to her advantage now that she's older. Focus is everything for her. So stay with us, and I'll be back with Malia in just a few short moments. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, I'm back, and my guest, as I said this week, is my daughter, Malia McNenny. Malia, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Hi, Mom. I'm so tired. Tell me, why are you so tired? It's only 11 o'clock. <laughs> well, I was up at 3.30 to be at work at 4 this morning. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was setting up all my pastry case and everything at Starbucks, mm-hmm. and 
Newman started knocking on the door right before we opened. So I had to let him in because he um, he comes in every morning that early. Okay, so tell us first off. I know who Newman is. My listeners don't know who Newman is. Newman is about 82, and he comes in every day. He um, used to be a pilot mm-hmm. in the Army. Mm-hmm. And so he's just this great guy. I've adopted him as a third grandpa. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so because I let him in early, he, he did a little tap dance for me this morning. It was fun. <laughs> he's a performer. He likes to be entertainment for us. Mm-hmm. And so does he have the same coffee every morning that he comes in? Yeah, and he actually gets his two next-door neighbors. He buys them coffee every morning, mm-hmm. takes it off to them. And drops them off on their front porch and stuff. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. So you work. Tell us where you work then. Well, I work at Starbucks Coffee Company. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I work at Snyder Plaza. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's near That's near a university, right? Mm-hmm. Right across the street from SMU. Mm-hmm. So we've, we get a lot of students and we get a lot of Highland Park moms that come in. Yeah. Wealthy, wealthy moms, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so tell me, your love of Starbucks goes back many, many years. Can you remember the first time you ever went to a Starbucks? Yes, because we always wanted to go to one, Mm because everybody would always talk about them at the theater. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were never allowed to. (laughs) And then one day, it was Paris' birthday, I believe. Mm -hmm. We got a special treat, and we were able to go, and I loved it ever since. Really? Yep. Okay. And um, that was your kind of dream job. Not, it would never be my dream job because I used to go to a place called Highland Park Pharmacy where they used to do milkshakes and any ice cream shop where they did milkshakes or banana splits or whatever. And I think, oh, I could not work in a place like this. In fact, who used to make your milkshakes at home? Dad. Yeah, you see, I couldn't even make a milkshake at home. And there, there you are really, really wanting to work at Starbucks because to me... That is the epitome of mixing drinks. I mean, every drink just about is a mixed drink, right? Yes. <laughs> so why? why? Why were you attracted to that? Um, I just liked the idea of knowing the recipes and knowing how to do something that nobody else knows how to do. Well, I mean, other people know how to do it, but it just seems super impressive. Yeah. And also, you only have to deal with a customer for about three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. And then they leave, so it's not it's not a long time that you have to spend with somebody. <laughs> so did you actually think about that? Were you thinking about that kind of thing when you were, like, 16? Um, I guess not really, but I was thinking more of, because the Starbucks we used to go to, they were always so friendly and really, really nice to us. Mm-hmm. And I just liked the idea of doing that and getting to know other people through, you know, making their coffee. So tell me then, um, you... Went up to this Starbucks that's very close to our house, actually. We can walk to it, but we didn't really ever walk to it. And tell us, how long did it take you? What was the process of you getting the job up there at that one? Well, I think I applied when I was 16, or I went in to find find out if I could get a job, but then the manager told me you have to be 18 in order to work behind the bar mm-hmm. um, making the coffees. So I waited until my 18th birthday. And I went in and I was like, I'm 18, finally, can you please hire me? And she was like, yes, I've been waiting for you to turn 18. <laughs> so I was hired right then and there and I started the next day. Mm-hmm. 
And so let's have a little bit of history there. You were homeschooled. You had graduated from homeschool. Mm-hmm. Were you currently at college at this point? Yes, I was at um, Collin College. Mm-hmm. But because they needed me t- to open the store, I was finished by 11 every day, so I was able to still go to classes mm-hmm. afterward. Mm-hmm. And that was your choice to, to do the early shift, or was it because you had to go to college? Um, first it was my choice because when I first got the job, I, I think it was summertime, you know, beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just chose to open because I like, I wanted to get off so that I could go hang out with friends or mm-hmm. sunbathe during the day and mm-hmm. have other things to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did it ever occur to you though, that having to get up so early in the morning meant that you may have to go to bed earlier at night? <laughs> Uh, I guess at that age, I wasn't doing too much at night, so it didn't really bother me, I guess. Did you work every day? Um, starting off, I didn't really work every day. It was about every other day, and I would work on weekends as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, was it as good as you had hoped it was going to be? I loved it. Every single day, I loved being there, and I wanted to go back every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I really I really enjoy um going into work, which is surprising because I've been doing it for so long now, but I do enjoy going in every day to see all the customers because it's like I go in and I hang out with my friends, so yeah, yeah. feel like work. Yeah. So the training process, was that very long? Um, I seem to remember my training was a, a, quite a few months, but maybe it, it might not have been. It might have felt like a few months. Um so but, where did they start you then? If they're training you, obviously can't. The first thing you did was not make a drink, right? No. Um, they start teaching you how to run the register. And then, you know, when it's quiet, they teach you how to make a latte or steam the milk. And mm-hmm. and then once you know that, you basically know how to make every drink except for frappuccinos. Mm-hmm. Because all you, most of the drinks are the same steps and they are the same ingredients just a different flavor syrup or a different type of milk so so do they have like cheat sheets so that if somebody asks you for something that maybe you haven't done for a few weeks you can kind of you know review or yeah there's a there's a recipe book Mm -hmm. but once you know you kind of know and (laughs) sometimes you just make it up and it tastes good anyway so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so say I came in for a drink. What? What? Tell, rattle off a drink and then tell us how to make it. A cinnamon dolce latte. Okay. So say you came in and ordered that. So is that hot? That is hot. Okay, so I would like a cinnamon dolce latte. All right, go. So you would pump the syrups into the cup. So what would be the syrups? Uh, sorry, it's just one, and it's just the cinnamon dolce syrup. Okay, so is that a coffee-flavored, cinnamony type syrup? Yeah, it's just sweet and cinnamony flavor, I guess. Okay. It's really good, actually. Um, And then you got to steam your milk, Mm -hmm. and then you pour the shots into the syrup. Okay, so hang on a minute. So the shots, are those those coffees that you've actually made out of ground coffee, or are those shots that come from somewhere else? Well, they come from our espresso machine. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so it, it automatically grinds it and presses it and does the water for you. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is push a button, and then they start pouring into the cup. Mm-hmm. And then you pour the milk on top of that, but you have to do it within 10 seconds, otherwise the shots go bitter. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and they, t- and they don't taste very good. Mm-hmm. 
And then the cinnamon dolce latte gets whipped cream, mm-hmm. and then it also gets cinnamon dolce sprinkles on top. So some of them get whipped cream, but you just have to know which ones do and which ones don't. And then customers will customize their own. They'll say they want light whip on top. Or or non-fat milk or sugar-free cinnamon dolce syrup or extra shots. Yeah, but you have everything back there at your fingertips behind the counter. So it's not a case of, oh, my gosh, I've now got to go and find the light milk or the skimmed milk or... Right. Yeah. yeah, everything is always stocked and set up for you in the mm-hmm. mornings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you enjoy working bar better than enjoy working register? Are they two completely different places to work? Yes. Um, one of them is exhausting. Which one? The bar. That's, yeah. That will wear you out. Mm-hmm. And the till. I mean, the till gets pretty boring, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. But I, I used to like to do bar a lot more, and mm-hmm. I would never be on the register. Mm-hmm. But with my new store, I, I kind of like to be on register because you're able to talk with people. And since you know, since I know so much about Starbucks, if people ask me questions, mm-hmm. I, I have an easy time answering them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. so right at the beginning, you were saying that you were setting up your pastry case when, when your customer was kind of at the door and you let him in. Yep. Um, setting up the pastry case, do you have to do it the same way every single day? When are the deliveries made? Are they made in the middle of the night, just at the back door? How does that work? Well, the delivery men have keys, Mm -hmm. so they will deliver at night after the store is closed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just leave it at the, like, inside of the shop, but they leave it at the front door. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, every time I come in, I have to set it up the exact same way. Mm -hmm. It takes me about 20 minutes to Mm -hmm. set it up, which... Mm -hmm. It seems like a long time, but, I mean, I've got to open each packet and place them onto trays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I have to do that every morning, and that's all I do to open. Mm-hmm. But the other person I open with has to do a lot more. Like, they have to brew the coffee, they have to set up the tills and, and check some stuff in. and So they're they're constantly working, but I just I don't move from my pastry case. Yeah. And so um, you just worked opening. So everything was clean. Did you have to do any cleaning before you could open, or was that all done at closing? Yeah, that's all done at night yeah. in, in order for us to just have to come in and open the store easily. Yeah, so that's handy. Okay. Yeah. So that's your little experience there at Starbucks here in Texas. And you actually spent a year in England. I did. And where did you go work? I worked at Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) I know, that's fantastic, isn't it, how you can do that? So you were ready trained, and was it a very different experience? I mean, were the coffees made exactly the same way, or how did that work? Yes, because Starbucks is a corporate company. Everything Mm -hmm. is standard throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, of course, there's different standards in each store. Mm -hmm. So depending on who your manager was, you know, (laughs) <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily keep everything as clean, I guess, as maybe your other stores. Or, um, I mean, not a whole lot was different. But what were the, the same- cu- were the customers different though? Because I know that your store in America, you had a very large motorbike crowd, a different kind of crowd that first one, and then the the other, the one that you're working at right now is a different crowd again. Right. So what was it like? What what was the crowd like? You worked at two different ones in England. So what was the crowd like there? Well, I worked at one in um 
It was right outside of a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, both of them were. But the first one was small, and mostly moms would come in with their little buggies. Mm-hmm. And so they'd fill up the store. And they weren't very friendly. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to being super friendly and getting to know people's names. But they did not do that in England at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. They actually just started to get people's names on their cups right as I was leaving London. Really? Really? Yeah. So... They weren't very friendly, and when I would chat with people, they really didn't know what to say to me, and mm. they just thought it was very strange. <laughs> yeah, they were being chatted up by <laughs> But I wanted American. to know about their day and why they were shopping, and yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, Malia, um, we've got to go on a short break, but okay. we'll be back um, just after a few moments. So right. just stay tuned. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. The author of the book, Help, My Body is Killing Me, Solving the Connections of Autoimmune Disease to Thyroid Problems, Fibromyalgia, Depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better, to make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on Togginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, we're back, and um, I'm talking to my daughter, Malia, and we're talking about her Starbucks experience. And now we've, we've gone to England, and she was able to work at Starbucks in England. She worked at a couple of Starbucks in England, and she was telling the story about in America, when a customer comes in, you always ask the customer for their name, and they don't think anything of it. They just write the name out on the cup. They give the name and the... A barista writes the name on the cup, but it was a different experience in England, Malia. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, nobody ever asked anyone for their names, so we would never, you know, if we had a regular customer, mm-hmm. we would we would always be like, oh, you know, that guy that comes in and gets the tall latte. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we would never know his name. We actually found out his name was Pete eventually, mm-hmm. and it was just very interesting when he'd walk in and we would say, hi, Pete, and he would be like, oh, don't call me that. Don't call me my name. <laughs> And a lot of times when we would ask somebody for their name, they would give us their last name. Yeah. So we knew a lot of people by their last name. Mm-hmm. But it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a privacy thing, maybe. They just don't want everybody in the store knowing their names. So what did you do then on the drink? Because I know on our drink cups in America, we have our name written on it. So that you know the person, when they finish with the drink, can say, call out the name or just say the name of the drink. So how did you keep that straight? We would have to just call it out. I mean, and if somebody took the wrong drink, then we would have to then remake that drink. Um, But most of the time in England, they have for here cups, so that it's a china cup instead of a paper cup. So 
I don't know. It was just, it just seemed to be easier. Yeah. And actually in America, when we put names on cups, it doesn't make much of a difference because if people aren't paying attention, they still take the wrong drink. Yeah. 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 But eventually, um, you did have to get the customer's names. Something changed while you were there. So you did have to get the customer's names. Right. And, um, tell us how difficult that was or how easy that was. It's, it was a challenge because people would be like, well, why do you need my name? I'm not giving you my name. And I would be like, okay, well that's fine. <laughs> we actually started to wear name tags. Yeah. So, and I think people got a little bit more comfortable with that and, mm-hmm. And they were like, well, since we know their name, we'll give you my name. Yeah. But we also worked in, in a mall area, so it was never the same few people coming back a day. So okay. yeah. we never got to learn anybody's names and yeah. see them again. So you didn't have regulars like you have here in, in uh, Texas? No, we did not. No, no. Okay, so um, you transferred. Um, you were in London for a while at a Starbucks, and then you were able to transfer again to um, another city where you were, again, going to college. So how did working there at the Starbucks uh, manage to fit in with your college? Well, I was only able to work on weekends because my college was 8 to 5 every day. Really? Um, So I worked Saturday mornings. I would work about 8-hour shifts on a Saturday and an 8-hour shift on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't very much, but... It was the busiest time of the week, especially at a mall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I did it. I was just, I didn't do anything on a Friday night because I had to get up and go to work on a Saturday. And mm-hmm. and then I just worked on Sundays as well. So I was constantly busy. I never had a day off. And so you didn't have a car. So that was, that added something to having to go because it wasn't just down the road. You couldn't really walk, could you? No, it wasn't very close. So I would have to get up about an hour earlier mm-hmm. than I had to be at work. And I'd have to walk to the train station all the way down the hill, mm-hmm. get on the train, and then walk up to the store. Mm-hmm. Then when I would get off work, you know, it wasn't a case of, oh, I'll be home in five minutes. It would mm-hmm. take about half an hour to yeah. do this long journey. Yeah. And walking up the hill after an eight-hour shift at Starbucks was awful. Yeah. You were on your feet all day. All day long. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was exhausting. But you were able to wear nice, comfortable shoes, though, I'm sure. I did. I had some nice Clarks. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't look very attractive, but they felt really well. (laughs) All right. So um, you were in England. Tell us what you were doing in England at the college all day. I did musical theater, so... We would have a ballet class, a singing class, a drama class, um, and then maybe a jazz. Mm-hmm. There weren't there were about six classes maybe a day. Mm-hmm. We'd have a lunch break, mm-hmm. and then we'd go back and do the same thing the next day. I mean, they 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 switched it up so we didn't have the set schedule every single day. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was generally the same idea. Mm-hmm. We'd have singing every day, drama every day. Mm-hmm. And, of course, dance classes. We had to do ballet every single day. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. jazz might be maybe just a Monday and a Wednesday or something. So how did you adapt to that? That was quite different to what you'd been used to in America. Yeah, it was exhausting. It was a lot of work. And being around, you know, 50 other girls every day was a challenge. Mm-hmm. But it was it was fun. I, I treated it like I was at camp or something, you know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A long camp for a whole year. A whole year long camp. <laughs> <laughs> but we got quite a few breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a 
what, what well, is you it? had Christmas break. And then... We had half terms. Oh, we had half terms. That's right. A week off every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And then we had Christmas break, which was about a month. Mm-hmm. And then we had another half term and then an Easter break, which mm-hmm. was about three weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, we got, we got quite a bit of time off, mm-hmm. which was well needed. Well, and you did some performing. You had some events. So tell us about the couple of events that you did. Um. We performed at Wembley Stadium mm-hmm. for the FA Cup final for the football uh, football something final. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a really, really big deal, and it was a huge arena. Mm-hmm. And um, that, there were about 200 of us that did it because they mixed some colleges, so they added other people. Yeah. And we were not allowed to practice at the stadium except for one day because – the grass, the grass keepers were so picky about their grass, you weren't allowed to stand on it mm. for any longer than about 10 seconds, and you had to move your feet. Huh, really? It was, it was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very picky. And so you had to go and rehearse somewhere else, and so you didn't really get much time to rehearse actually on the space that you were going to be dancing on. We only rehearsed one day on the space that we would dance on, mm-hmm. but we found some parks, and we, you know, we went to other places to practice, mm-hmm. but... It was it was very difficult. <laughs> yeah, well that that was great though. I mean, there aren't very many people that have actually danced at Wembley Stadium. So. No, it was it was an amazing experience, and there were so many people. Yeah. It was and it was very wet. It had rained that day, yeah. so people were falling over. So nothing quite went right. Yeah, but it was it was still a good experience. And then you did something called Move It at um, Olympia, which is in Earl's Court, London. Yes, Move It was a huge dance convention mm-hmm. um so each college and i guess companies and dance crew, groups around town mm-hmm. would go and perform two to three dances and you know there would be thousands of people watching you perform and it was it was a huge rush mm-hmm. it was really a really good experience and we were we had a booth so we were trying to sign people up in order to come to our college mm-hmm. and Mm-hmm. It was it was really different to anything I've ever done before. Mm-hmm. And so all of this is for a reason, isn't it, Malia? Yes. Your reason is? To work at Starbucks for the rest of my life. The rest of your life. <laughs> Be a manager. <laughs> and dance with Newman. Dance, tap dance in this store. Yeah. yeah. No, I want to perform mm-hmm. um, on a bigger level. I would like to be in the West End, which is London's Broadway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be auditioning for cruise lines mm-hmm. and hopefully performing on a cruise line, which is where a lot of people start out. Yeah. It's a really good experience, and you get to travel the world and get paid to do that. Yeah. So that's what I really want to do is be on stage and be entertaining people. Yeah. And um, tell us about oh, – what was I going to ask you? Oh, yes – Tell us about your experience at the Phantom of the Opera. You went and did something really interesting with the Phantom of the Opera. Tell us about that. Well, I was introduced to the current choreographer, the resident choreographer, through my dad, I guess. Mm -hmm. And she allowed me to come meet with her one day while they were doing a tech rehearsal Mm -hmm. for the new Christine that was starting. Yeah. So I was able to sit there. I was I, I went on stage and, and met some of the cast and walked around the set. And then I watched the second act tech rehearsal. Mm-hmm. 
it was very interesting. And I met the director and the music director and, and I was able to see things that went wrong and things that they were working on and rehearsing in order to be perfect. And it was, gosh, it was really, really cool experience. Mm -hmm. So when you go back, are you going to try and audition for um, Phantom or one of the shows in the West End? I would love to be in Phantom. I think it's one of my favorite shows. It was like first show we ever saw. Yeah. Um, and I've always really loved the music and the, the storyline. And they, the dancers don't do a whole lot in that show. There aren't very many of them. Mm -hmm. But, yes, I would love to be in that. Or Mamma Mia was amazing, and it looked like so much fun. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah, so that's my goal if I move back to London, which I would like to do, mm -hmm. um, is to audition for a bunch of shows and see if something happens. So, Malia, you, you were explaining about college having several different dance classes. You didn't just do ballet. You did, you know, your jazz and your modern, your contemporary. <laughs> what was your favorite style of dancing? What is your favorite style of dancing? I really like lyrical or, well, slash contemporary, which is the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's just very free. Mm -hmm. It's very freestyle, but you still need control and you need your technique. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a fan of hip-hop. I'm not very good at it. No. Um, I mean, I like to watch it, but I can't <laughs> can't grasp the style quite yet. Mm -hmm. Reminds me of a story Margot Fontaine tells. She's at a dinner party, and she gets up and um, dances with um, one of the men at the table, and he comes back and he says, oh, she's beautiful, but shame she's not a dancer. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, just because you're really good at one... Well, several styles of dance. Right. You can't be good necessarily at every single style of dance. Do you think maybe it's because you were never really exposed to hip-hop that much, or is it just really the way they move their body that just eludes you? I think it's because I wasn't exposed to it. I haven't had much experience with, um, I guess, the, tech, the, the technique and the style of hip-hop is just very different to ballet, obviously. Yeah, so you can't find anything from like your jazz and your modern. Is it does it just completely stand alone? It not necessarily. It's a lot of style. It's a lot of your face and how you how you embody the movement. Yeah. So, I mean, there's I can do the moves. It just doesn't look quite right on me. It just looks too classical. classical. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well. And so that's so that's your thing. And you, ballet was important. Everybody had to do ballet. Now, were, was everybody a dancer, ballet dancer at your school, or did some of them find that hard? Most of them found it hard. There, mm -hmm. about, there were two or three of us that were really good mm -hmm. at ballet. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the people that weren't good, they, I mean, we all had to take it anyway, so it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were singers that came into the college, and so they didn't dance at all. Mm -hmm. But they would have to take these dance classes because they were just required. Yeah. So, I mean, you would be in a, a class with people that were phenomenal at, at a certain movement and people that could not get it at all. Yeah. So it was a big variety of, of dancers. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we are going on a second break. And, um, Malia, if you um, don't mind, I'd like to talk with you just for another five minutes really quickly after we come back. Okay. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. 
Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriend at principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. All right, well, Malia's back with me, and um, what we're going to do here is just kind of wrap up a little bit and um, wish her every success for her her future. So just tell us a little bit about the two cruise lines that you're getting ready to audition for and where you're auditioning. Well, the first cruise line I'm auditioning for is Royal Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And I already auditioned for them while I was in London. Mm -hmm. They've said it's a really good idea to go back and audition more often because then they get to know you. Mm -hmm. And you might have a different style. You might have grown as a dancer. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go to that one, and that one's in Houston mm-hmm. um, next weekend, actually. Yeah, and Houston is about five hours away, so it doesn't. We can drive. It doesn't involve a plane ticket, right? So we're driving down there, and then in a few weeks after that, um, I will be auditioning for Holland America. Mm-hmm. Now they are part of Stiletto Entertainment, and mm-hmm. it's a really big um, company. They've got about 26 ships. Mm-hmm. So they do cruises all over the place, and it's a really high-class cruise line. Um, so that one is in Oklahoma, so we're also driving over to or up to that one. Mm-hmm. Now, so tell me, have you looked on any of these um, cruise lines? I mean, what, what kinds of dancing? I mean, do they have... Do they have separate shows? How, how does that work? I mean, is it like a mini Broadway on a ship? It is. That's a really good way to describe it, actually. Mm-hmm. They've got lots of different shows that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it's just one show per ship. So I'm, I haven't really researched all of that, which I probably should do. But they take people that are very entertaining. You don't necessarily have to be a very good technical dancer. Mm-hmm. But if you can entertain somebody and, and have them watch you for an hour or so mm-hmm. while they're having dinner or mm-hmm. while they're just sitting, mm-hmm. that's, I, I'm pretty sure that's mostly what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, some of these cruise lines have thousands and thousands of people on them. Yes. So I would think that they've got lots of different theaters, lots of different things going on. So if you go for a seven-day cruise, you can do something different every single night. Right. However, they do only put about six girls and four boys on each ship. Oh, really? It's dancers, yes. Huh. So I guess maybe there's different shows every, you know, every other night or something, but they can't split the cast up really. I mean, there's not very many entertainers on the, on the ship. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, goodness, that would be interesting then. So, well, I'm sure we'll hear all about it when you get cast on one of your, 
<laughs> ships. So yes. All right, Malia. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I've been talking to Malia McNenny, my daughter. She graduated from Wildflower Academy, attended the local community college, and then headed off to England to pursue her dream of living and working in London, and of course her dream of being a dancer and entertainer. Malia talked about her job with the international company Starbucks and her plans to take dancing to the professional level, passion requiring a lot of focus and dedication. I'm sure you'll all join me in wishing her all the best for her upcoming auditions and her future endeavours. Thank you so much, Malia, for joining me this morning. I know you were tired and Mm. you have a terrific weekend. Thank you. Bye. Well, how did you like that? Finding a job that will carry you all over the world is a quick fix when you need rent money in a hurry. And now for a brief flash about the wedding before we move on to the calamity of the week. I keep having to check exactly what it is we're expected to do as the parents of the groom. Since we have the future daughter-in-law in town and her mother is miles away, I almost feel as if I'm being her mum too. We are absolutely responsible for the rehearsal dinner which is a new one on me as we don't have such creatures in England and knees up down the pub the night before but not a formal dinner all the children and us parental chickens presumed it was going to be at our house and it was until the marathon slew of parties over Christmas Shane knew I looked my long-suffering good sport cowboy in his blue eyes and said let's go out for the rehearsal dinner fine he said but he was still thinking home We can get barbecue delivered if you like. I explained what I meant by out. And so we're in the throes of choosing a venue not too far from the church. There are those places where you can take your own wine and beer. That would be nifty. I've come up with a flexible budget so I can put it away so it doesn't hurt so much when the time comes. And now I'm going to have to go back to my list and see what else we need to be responsible for. But I feel a great burden has been lifted from my shoulders. I'm still going to do the bridal shower here, though, I think. (coughs) Excuse me. Well, now for the hair catastrophe. I've earned the nickname Mama Smurf. Any guesses? My new white hair is just too tempting a canvas to leave alone. I love the idea of powder blue highlights. And the last time I had my hairdresser take a shot, she didn't leave it in long enough, and it was sort of teal and didn't last long. This week, I went for another round, and, well, to say they were blue and not subtle in the least, is an understatement. I looked like a punk rocker ready for a head-banging session. I don't know how I walked out of there with decorum or how she let me leave looking like one of the troll dolls from days gone by, but I did and she did, and then to add insult to injury, my lovely blue-eyed Texan, who promised to cherish me through thickness and in health, refused to let me go to the store with him or even to go and check the mail on the curbside. I called my hairdresser and asked her what I could do and she wasn't very helpful because she had never done blue before. Then I got a call for both of us to be extras in a show this week and I knew I couldn't cut it as a Smurf wannabe. So my sidekick and I galvanised into action. The stripper I'd used in the past to right wrongs done to my hair didn't work. So I used clarifying shampoo and washed my hair 30 times a day in 10 repetition increments. Thank goodness for the sprayer in the kitchen. And I left each application of the shampoo in for three minutes. I wore a beanie to mass on Sunday and noticed other beanies in the congregation. Funny how that happens. I also noticed a lot of people who should have been wearing beanies. The worst thing is that each time I finished with a session of hair washing, my hair still screamed blue, even though it was by now the squeakiest, cleanest hair on the block. The colour 
didn't seem to be lifting at all. But then I looked at a picture I'd taken when I first got home and it had faded a bit. So I went to Sally's and found some white spray that was guaranteed to cover any colour. The saleswoman said also to use Blue Dawn dish soap. I took a shower with the new dish soap and then dried my hair and tried the white. Sadly, it didn't work, so my cowboy washed my hair ten times and I washed it ten more times and then Dorts came home and said, ooh, can I wash it ten times too? And my poor hands... And everybody else's hands started requesting some protection. So when I washed it for the last 10 times, I used rubber gloves and kept dropping the large bottle of Blue Dawn dish soap. Oh, my. I was sick to my stomach. I was depressed and unhappy and crying. There was soap in my eyes, a crick in my neck and worries about my scalp overreacting. If I wasn't planning on doing something special, this wouldn't have been such an issue. But on second thoughts, yes, it would have been. My nearest and dearest didn't want to be seen out in public with me. That kind of rejection hurts on top of bright blue hair. The upside to all of this was each child came over to see me in real life. Ah, mama smurfed them. So, as you may have guessed, I'm stressed again this week. The breathing helped somewhat while I had my head over the sink. And I couldn't shout because I was already drawing a huge amount of attention to myself by being seemingly obsessed with washing the blue right out of my hair. And I definitely was in no fit state to laugh. My Texan may have thought I was going crazy. But under normal circumstances, the experts say, if you're stressed out, laughing is good, if you can bring yourself to do it. When I'm racing around in a frenzy of stress, I don't want to laugh. I want to get things done. I don't want to listen to anything that'll make me laugh or watch anything that'll make me laugh. At heart, I'm just a curmudgeon, and now I'm a blue-haired one at that. Here's another stress buster if laughing isn't for you. Get moving. When I'm feeling the weight of the world is going to crush me and cause an anxiety attack, I get up and go for a walk. Or in the case of the milk spillage or my hair colour, I get up from the table and grab a cloth and start mopping or start shampooing a gazillion times a day. Moving furniture is still my all-time favourite way to ease those furrows in my brow, and it's a cheap Botox. When I first started doing this at about age eight, I didn't know I was helping myself. All I knew was I enjoyed the feeling I got when my room looked different and my muscles ached. Moving chairs out of the way of the flow of milk is a form of furniture moving for me. I've also been known to get the mixing bowl out and make a cake and beat a dozen eggs by hand. My grandmother made all her cakes by hand. No electric mixer for her back in the prairie days. She had a really strong arm and a light touch and lived a long life relieving stress domestically. Then you'll even have a reward at the end of the day to treat yourself to when the children finally fall asleep without the baby waking up. A lovely piece of chocolate cake. Having pets may seem to be adding fuel to the fire with lots of young children around, but the powers that be in the stress-relieving world recommend that a stroking session with your furry best pal works wonders for both your lives. We used to have faithful furry pets in our house. No more. Hence the chocolate's still on the tree after four weeks. And stroking an animal really helped the pressure back off if the dog stayed still enough while milk was puddling on the floor at his feet. Instead of letting your voice rise to a hair-bristling pitch, just reach out and stroke the dog. He loves it, you love it, and your heart loves it. Perhaps the spilled milk at the table is not the real reason why everything is in meltdown mode. Maybe it's something to do with the to-do list that keeps getting longer. And the last thing you need is something else added to it. Ditch the list. Then the only thing on it will be, don't cry over the spilled milk or the blue hair. 
Even the busiest mama smurf can handle that one. Nothing working yet? Well, here's my personal favourite. When all the kids are demanding to be heard at once, disappear. That's it if you don't have four under four or something ridiculous where it would be sheer folly to leave them alone. If you can extricate yourself from the grip of your family, take a few moments to pray. Walk the labyrinth, light a candle at church or home. If you have an hour, eat lunch with a friend. If you have a day, go on a retreat and leave the children with your trusty cowboy. The most important thing of all in the stress evasion list is to say no. Most of the time, the stress is a result of not having enough time to do all the things you want to do because you've said yes a hundred too many times. Practice that little no, no, no. Put it on your to-do list and your did-do list. I should have said no to my hairdresser. And if all of the above sounds way too active for you, you can combine several of these stress busters. If you have a couple of hours, say around midnight, take a warm scented bath, lit by candles, sip a glass of wine, listen to soft music, eat a chocolate or two, wash your hair a few dozen times, dream about where you would like to go on vacation, Florida next week, please, relax, unwind and breathe. And now, blue hair or not, the show has just galloped to an end, so I have to go. I hope you've enjoyed this hour and will join me again, same time, same place, next week. I'm dashing off to Houston with the family, and I have a reading group brunch on Sunday when we're going to choose our books for this year. And next week, I will be in Florida. Yippee! So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, except with the blue hair, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Tokenet Radio. My guest this week, Malia McNenny, thank you. And you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Rosemary, Kathleen, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Don't forget to listen to my friend Ali Lepreet on Mondays at 7. This little parent stayed home, that's central time. And Sandy Fowler at Heartfield Holidays, also on Monday at 1pm central. Better yet, just stay tuned in all the time and catch a lot of great shows to glide you through the day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.